video. All right. All right, everybody. We got Andy Parks on. Welcome to Now, Then, and a Little Bit of Zen. Andy, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you, sir? Not bad at all. All right. Andy's coming us coming to us from the wilds of Kansas. And so, Andy, what's going on with you these days? Uh, aside from uh, fighting back an existential angst about the state of the world, I'm just working on a few writing projects. I got a couple of volunteer things that are big in my life. So those keep me busy. Usual stuff. We really appreciate you coming on here tonight, Andy. It's our very first podcast, and it's great to have you here. So good to be here. Why? What? Why now, Dan? What? Well, what, you, you don't have enough hobbies. What's going on? Hey, I decided after um, I decided going to a couple cons that I really missed the camaraderie of doing this stuff. So, right. as you know, I was. I, you know, doing website stuff, website stuff's a lot of work. And plus you need a host. You need somebody to, you know, come up with the design of it. This way, you know, I'm pretty much able to do this myself, even though I do have a good partner that came up with the design for uh, the, the, you know, the, um, for the, for our site and everything. Nice. So we're, uh, but this is really, you know, something, you know, something I can do, you know, from my kitchen table. So, cool. which I literally uh, am. So, how's Iowa? Iowa, we're looking at, uh, Iowa's good. So, so, and we're looking at thunderstorms again tonight, but what's new? Yeah, right. We haven't had a lot of those this year so far. Yep. And just like you, I'm really worried about all this stuff that's going on in the world, which is pretty scary. But uh, we we have to. But, you know, the thing is, with the stuff that you do, it helps a lot of us escape the what's going on. So, oh, that's nice. Thank you. We thank you for that. Um, and one thing I have to say about Andy that I really Andy, um, besides being an excellent inker, Andy is a great a writer. If you haven't picked up some of his stuff, um, Union Station, also Capote in Kansas, and also um, a little book that he did that is the basis for a Netflix movie. And Andy can tell you a little bit about that. So. Yeah, so let's see. It's been about 13 years ago and change after those two books at Oni Press. Oni said, hey, Andy, we've, uh, we've heard from these guys in, named the Russo Brothers who made a feature and now they've been working in TV and they want to get back to features and they have an idea that they like to develop with us and we thought you might be a good fit for that. And I was like, okay, I think that sounds good. Oni came to me, I think, because um, I was kind of their research, real world-based guy, you know, after those first two books, which are both kind of grounded in either historical fiction or, you know, pretty grounded in reality. Which is and good. Ciudad was going to be this project 
that required some research because it was going to be uh, set in this real place in South America. So uh, I said yes, and the Russos and I started developing this thing together. Um, they had some connections, you know, even back then. They were like, well, let's get on the phone. We know this guy is a former CIA agent, or we know this guy. So we, we'd have these joint calls with people who had been to this area called Ciudad del Este. And uh, we learned about the area, which is this really horrific kind of lawless uh, area between, I always forget the countries. It's like Paraguay, Uruguay, and Brazil, something like that. And so we pounded out an outline kind of, and then it got optioned by Paramount. So Paramount flew me out to Hollywood my first time out there and I met with the Russos in person and we worked on the outline more. And we kind of got to the point where we agreed what was gonna happen basically. And then I went off and wrote a, graphic novel, and they went off and wrote a screenplay based on the same outline. Probably took five years before the graphic novel came out. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard to find an artist and blah, blah, blah. Graphic novel comes out. By that time, I think the Russos had directed a Captain America movie or two. Um, more time passes now they've directed Avengers, now they've directed Avengers Endgame, like the most widely seen movie in the history of the world. And uh, they're obviously too busy to direct Ciudad, which is was the point of this whole thing. Then looking right. to break into features again as a direct as directors, the two of them. Somewhere along the way, Paramount said, we're not gonna make this thing uh, because we have another project set in that part of the world. And furthermore, we're not going to give you back the rights because we can't have your project competing with ours. So that was bad news. Uh, but my producers said, well, would you give it back to us if we change the setting to India and places like that? And Paramount said, okay. So when the movie comes out, it's called Extraction, which is a better title than Ciudad, which made no sense anymore. And it's set in India, and um, I think there's some stuff in Pakistan, places over there. And so I think it was 12 years between the time when I first heard from the Russos to when the movie hit the air. And there was an upside and a downside to it hitting the air when it did. It hit Netflix in April of 2020, which was a month into the pandemic which is bad because you can't have a premiere or anything like that. You can't get together with people. Oh, but definitely not. Good, because everybody in the world was at home watching Netflix. So it became very widely seen. I think in the first year, and I'm sure it's bigger now, in the first year, my uh, producer people told me that they estimated a quarter of a billion people saw it. Which is huge. It's crazy that these ideas that we bashed out in a little room in a, a meeting space in Hollywood, you know, are exposed to that many people. It's crazy. Yeah. And now, as far as the sequel goes, how much input have you had on that one? I didn't really contribute to that. Um, the Russos created the character and the concept. They just asked me to help develop the plot for the first movie you know and flesh out the character a little whatever right. but it was it was their thing um they were kind enough to cut me in for participation 
Um, so I do benefit when things get made. So that's nice. But I didn't have any input into the story for the sequel or anything like that. I've heard tidbits about what it is. I don't think I'm supposed to say too much, but it's, it's going to be very another very exciting ride, I think. Yeah, it doesn't help. I mean, it doesn't hurt at all that, um, you know, Chris Hemsworth's in it either. So, yeah. And he's not only is he a huge star and he seems like a lovely guy. He's really good in these things. He's got an incredible physical presence. I don't know if you if you noticed in the first one, him walking on the street, he just looks bigger than everybody. He, he's like got a John Wayne physique. He's just a big guy. He looks and like the, he, he, he loves the action stuff. He's really good at it. It's he's a great fit for it. Yeah, it was a really good movie, and you didn't know what was going to happen at the end. I mean, was there going to be a sequel or was there not going to be a sequel? Right. Yeah, that was clever. The ending of the book, um, Theodad, it was it was clear that he survived. He gets shot and he falls off the bridge and all that, but it was clear he survived. Uh, they made it a little more ambiguous in the film. But still very good. I mean, they very good. I mean, it was a good action flick, and because but I mean... Yes. The action flick, it, the first, I just remember the first part of it, there was no, there was no dialogue for the first, you know, how many yeah. minutes of it, so. It's cool because it opens very much like the book, um, the extraction itself, and then this long extended chase through the city and shooting and cars and all that, and I'm very proud of the book and I think it reads well, but really that kind of action is better suited to a, a screen. Well, yeah. You can see the cars moving. And I don't know if you ever saw behind the scenes, but the director of the movie got his start as a stunt man. He like was a stunt double for Evans in the Captain America movies, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, so he's an active guy who knows how this stuff works for, for that one of the scenes of that car chase. He put on a helmet and grabbed the camera and strapped himself to the hood of a car right behind the Hemsworth car. Oh, wow. So, so, <laughs> so he's like riding along with it. And then the car kind of spins and he jumps off the hood and runs up to the car and kind of shoves the camera into the car and then back. It's crazy. <laughs> it really brings you into the scene, you know? Yeah. Really good stuff. So, no, that was a, that was a good movie. Okay, we're going to like... Okay. So as far as your as far as your art career goes, how did you how did you know that you wanted to be be an artist? Well, I was late to it. Um, most people who do comics knew what they wanted to do when they were like eight years old. Um, I was not that lucky. I, I went into I, I read comics when I was a little kid, then I fell off them for a while. Then I rediscovered them in junior high, but I didn't take an art class until my senior year of high school, you know, aside from the stand, the ones everybody had to take. Right. Um, and that's when I fell in love with drawing, it was my, my senior year. And when I went to college, I went in art and English, not really knowing what the hell I was going to do with myself. College didn't go very well. I wasn't that strong at going to class, so that it, I didn't know what I was doing. And after a few years of college, I said, this is stupid. I think I'm going to try to make comics. That's what appeals to me. It's what it, 
I'm not ready to settle for doing a job I don't love. And I love comics, so I'm gonna try this. So I dropped out of college, I got a job delivering pizzas and I just started working on my artwork. And I knew that I was behind the curve at that point. You know, I'm 20 years old, whatever. I knew that becoming a penciler was gonna be difficult and take more years that I didn't wanna take. But I, my stuff always had a good finish to it. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe I'll focus on inking. I've always been fascinated by that craft anyway. I loved guys like Dick Giordano and Tom Palmer. So I decided I better focus on inking. That's my quickest path into the business. And uh, I just ran with that. And after that, it was more a matter of being stubborn than being skilled. I was just not, I wasn't going to be the college dropout who worked at pizza the rest of his life. I was going to make it somehow. And after right around the time, so let's see, two, three years later, I'm starting to get some work. And it's time for my wife to get her PhD. And she applies to school out east, gets invited to go to Penn, which is in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And that worked out well. We, we moved to Philadelphia for five years. Um, I could take the train up to New York. I met other artists there, like Mike Manley, who were very encouraging and very helpful. So, and then I started getting regular work at DC and I look back after that, it's all been pretty good. Yeah, that's one thing in this, in, in the industry, it's all about networking too, so. It is, it's really nice. And you know, um, yeah, it was good to have Mike like introduce me to guys, but more than that, as a guy who was working at home and getting better, but slowly, it might, skills exploded in the first six months of being it wasn't a formal studio but i would go to mike's to work maybe every other day just being around other guys who were doing it every day and cranking pages out um, i got better and faster just being around that than i would have in another several years of just working in isolation at home so how did you get more how did you get interest in writing after being an anchor for a while um i always wrote um like in high school i wrote andrew and i went to college for english and art the problem was when it was time to choose a career it seemed impossible to me to get a career going as a writer and especially in comics i didn't know how you even did that like what did you show editors if you show an editor an art sample it makes sense to me he can get yeah. feedback in, in 30 seconds but it seemed impossible to show somebody a script. I didn't know how to do that. So I set writing aside and focused on inking. Well, after five years or so of inking, I thought this is good, but I need to be smart about my career. I need to invest in things that are mine. Um, if I get a job inking Nightwing, if Nightwing sells better or gets a movie made, yeah, I get a little royalties, but it doesn't really, it's not really me that benefits. So I wanted to start writing to control the things that I was creating. So, and it took a long time to pay off, believe me. I mean, Union Station was close to getting made into a movie like five times, never happened. Mm -hmm. I never made a dime on it. Capote in Kansas got cut down because there was another film made that was very similar. So that was dead. 
see that it paid off, but yeah, it took 12 years for that to pay off. So it, it is true that it was a long, frustrating process, but I always tell people, you can't win the lottery if you don't play. I wanted to have stuff out in the world that I made and that I owned so that if it hit, I was the one who benefited. And like I said, I didn't really own, I didn't really create CDOT out of whole cloth, but I have an involvement in it because I was one of the developers. Yeah, and the thing is, you wrote stuff that you're very proud of. And if it happens that it gets made into a movie, it's more power to you. Right. But, but I, you're right. I am proud of the writing stuff. Um, you know, there's another aspect. After inking for a while, and I don't want to belittle anybody who inks for a living. It is a hard job. But I did it for a while, and I was like, okay, I know how to do this. And I feared that if I just did that the rest of my life, it would get boring. Um, and I, that writing kind of fired up that creative fire that I was maybe felt dwindling a little bit just because, you know, sitting down and inking was getting a little routine for me. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I, six degrees of separation. You had some famous people that went, you went to school with. Tell me about them. Yeah. So, um, Shawnee Mission West, where I went in uh, Overland Park, Kansas, had a very famous forensics teacher, a lady named Sally Shipley. And I had her, and forensic wasn't super my thing. I, I was in the plays in high school, and I really enjoyed that. But forensics, where you're kind of just standing up there riffing on your own, that wasn't really for me. But Sally Shipley was very talented and produce some big talents. Um, I mean, they give her a lot of credit for helping them develop their skills. One of them, I only missed Shiny Mission West by one year because uh, I left and then the next year he was a freshman. That's Paul Rudd. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I think a few years after him, Jason Sudeikis came through the same school. So yeah, there's no way I'll ever be the most famous guy from Shining Mission West. There's some pretty big hitters from there. Hey, you never know, man. They're gonna, you know, they could take <laughs> a wing after you someday. So, or, or a hallway, right? English hallway. So, unfortunately, they seem very, they seem like good dudes. So that's nice. Yeah, that's a good thing. They, they're not assholes. So, right. And it's a podcast, so I can say asshole. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm not, FCC is not monitoring podcasts. Right. Yeah. Big Brother is not watching. <laughs> so, so Andy, how, okay. One thing, I'm, the hats. Okay, you love fedoras. You love to wear the hats. So. Yeah. Well, part of that is necessity. Um, I started not shaving, but buzzing my head as soon as I realized I was in danger of doing the cover-up thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, no I remember I got sunburned and I still thought I had hair and I got sunburned on my scalp. And I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. So I decided then that I could not be out in the sun anymore without something on my head because, you know, there's no ozone left. It's not safe. So I started wearing hats. And then eventually, you know, I love all things... I like old stuff. I always have. I like antiques. I like old fashioned. 
all that. And at some point I, I remembered that I had an old fedora that was my great uncle's in the basement. And I got it out and I would wear it every now and then. And then I discovered that you could go to eBay and you can find old fedoras. And I learned my size, which thankfully is kind of a weird size. Uh, I have a kind of a big head because if I had a small head, it, you know, in the forties, more guys were, had small heads and had huge noggins like we have now, just that's right. Gotten a little bigger overall. Nutrition is better. All that. Um, if I had a small head, I would have like 500 hats. Um, thankfully, I have a big head, so they're harder to come by. But I probably have like 30 felt hats and about 20, 25 straw hats. And uh, I swap them out, you know, spring and fall. And I pretty much don't leave the house without something on my head. And I try to make them kind of fashionable. I always figure if you got a nice hat and decent shoes on, you can get away with kind of mediocrity in the middle, you know? That's right. So, no, I like the hats. I mean, it's better than, you know, some people walk around with baseball hats on. Baseball hats, at least it's not a seed corn cap. I mean, <laughs> Iowa, I'm sick of seed corn caps. So, I bet. But, okay. And a great love of yours is bourbon. Okay. Yeah. I'm sipping a rye right now. I was a little, after dinner, I was a little sleepy. I didn't want to be drowsy when I started talking to you. So I got a Coke Zero, a tall Coke Zero. And then on the side, I got a little glass of rye. Have you tried Templeton rye yet? I have. I'm a fan. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll have to, we'll have to slip you a bottle sometime. Oh, anytime. All I feel right. guilty when people bring me bottles at cons, but you know, like, oh, you didn't have to, but I never say no, so. That's right. My sister used to live over at Carroll, which is right next to Templeton. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a famous Iowa thing. Wait, what's the, is there some kind of story about that was Capone's brand or something back in the day? Yes. Well, actually, Carroll was one of the counties that was um, was a wet county because it was first off a cat, very Catholic county. And uh -huh. also uh, Templeton, Capone had his uh, had his. Um, was able to get involved there so nice so iowa that but then they brought it back you know in in the same distillery so right very nice yeah i've had a meal with you dim and i don't remember do you enjoy a cocktail or a glass of wine or anything yes i um i enjoy a a nice glass of wine and i enjoy i used to enjoy more so i used to enjoy um beers i really detest um it was from my time in the air force being overseas i detest yeah. american beer oh yeah american beer is horse piss so. yeah where did you spend most of your time when you were over there i was in um england for three years so okay about 70 miles northeast of london so about they drink that they drink that brown syrup over there that Guinness oh, and such. Oh yes. Yeah. Well Guinness is Guinness is Irish, but the true Guinness, you can actually uh balance like a um some pubs that they would pour it, you know, they would put it under the thing and then they would scrape off the head with a with a knife or something. And then right. you could you could actually balance a 10p coin on the head. <laughs> you can't do we that. Actually, so we we live 
lived in England for a semester, the whole family and I, about six years ago. And uh, we went to Dublin and, um, you know, where, which is Guinness headquarters is right there. And I felt really stupid. Sorry, I got to knock the window and get a cat away. Um, I felt really stupid being in Dublin and not enjoying Guinness, but I just don't. So I drank Irish whiskey everywhere I went. No, it's it's really an acquired taste. And if you're going to drink Guinness, you want to black and tan. So yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it's got the consistency of motor oil and tastes almost as good. So <laughs> it's just not. But and people get very serious about their. The, you know the right kind of glass and how the pour is done and all that stuff. Oh yeah, they're they're um, in the UK. I mean, it's it's all about you know they've got different. I don't know how much how how it is now, but I mean they used to have um, different breweries had different pubs. You know, like a and their uh, free house. You know, was any any brewery could be. Right. Um, but now I don't know what it's like over there now. So. I plan to go back over there in a in a few years. So I promised somebody to take her over there. So nice. Nice. So and uh just I uh it's but I wanted to thank you again for coming on. We're getting to to the uh end of our 30 minute time limit from Zoom and it's been very nice to have you here tonight, Andy. And I enjoyed it, man. Anytime. It's a pleasure. Yeah. No, it's great. I always enjoy getting together with you guys at conventions. And so and Likewise. I, I recommend you guys going to conventions, looking up Andy at any convention. Great guy to talk to. And if you want, you know, to if you're uh, a creator and you want anything. He's been in the business for a while, so talk to him. So I'm here for it. Thank you. Yes. And all right. Well, that's Andy Parks. And this is Now Then and a little bit of Zen, the very first episode. And we thank you for listening. This is Daniel C. Hartman coming at you from Ames, Iowa. And thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Andy. It was good talking to you, man. All right. Talk to you later, man. All right. Take care. Good luck with this thing. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.